Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, uh, is a little odd, not going to lie. Maybe you're familiar with this passage, maybe not. Um, But Ezekiel was a prophet who was, uh, during the time that the people had been sent out of uh, the land of Israel and were in exile in, um, in Babylon, of all places, and it just looked like all of the promises that God had made had come to an end, and that uh, maybe there was no hope. And yet, if you know the rest of the story, of course that wasn't true, but that's sure how it seemed at the time. Uh, anyway, Ezekiel's going to have a vision here uh, that, um, that speaks to that, both in his day and maybe in ours as well. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And Lord, we do thank you for your word that you've given to us. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word today. Lord, that you would give us minds to to think, to ponder, to understand your word today. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive and to live your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Turning then to our New Testament lesson. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The passage is a bit more familiar. This is... uh, the day of Pentecost, which is uh, 
that 50 days after Easter, and so, uh, or not after Easter, after <laughs> Passover, and so roughly 50 days after Easter as well, when Jesus had been raised from the dead. Acts 2, 1 to 14, or 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from, under, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those, these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, I've had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> well, we have been, as I mentioned, looking at the book of John uh, for quite some time, and we are nearing the end, actually, of the book of John. And, um, and so we have reached the point in the story where uh, we have seen the things that Jesus has said. We have seen the things that Jesus has done. We have seen the ways in which he has said, you know, I only do what I see my father doing. Uh, the connection that he had to his father from the beginning. We have seen uh, the way that seven times he has said, I am dot, dot, dot. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine, etc." And we have seen seven times where he has said, I am, period. Claiming connection with uh, the one true God. And then we have seen that though he has done all these things, that didn't mean everyone got on board with the good news of the gospel. But instead, it upset some people. They arrested him. They put him on trial, if you can even call it that, had him beaten and killed as he hung on the cross. But that wasn't the end of the story. And that he had told his disciples that he would rise again, and so sure enough, we see on the third day uh, women coming to the tomb, and it's empty. And so we saw a couple weeks ago, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb, it's empty, she runs and she tells Peter and John, and they run, and they check it out for themselves. Peter's not sure what to think. John says, believes at that point, whatever that means. And we said at the time, you know, for me, an empty tomb is not enough. But then we saw last week Jesus actually appearing in the flesh, raised from the dead, resurrected, appearing to Mary Magdalene. And this week, he appears again, not to her, but to the disciples. 
This is uh, John uh, chapter, are we, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. This is that same day that Jesus has uh, raised from the dead. This is on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So here we have it. Another uh, time when Jesus has appeared, this time not to Mary Magdalene, but to his disciples. And what we see in this brief passage uh, are several things that are significant, I think, even for us today. Uh, The first of which is where the disciples are and what it is that they are doing and why. Well, it says that they're together that first day of the week. But wherever they are, whatever room they're in, they have gathered together and locked the doors. Why are the doors locked? Because they are afraid. Why in the world are they afraid? It says they're afraid for fear of the Jewish leaders. Why would they be afraid of the Jewish leaders? What do they have to be afraid of? They didn't do anything wrong, right? On the one hand, right. (laughs) On the other hand, Jesus didn't do anything wrong either. And they killed him. And they, these disciples, are associated with Jesus. And so if these leaders have just killed the leader, they've killed Jesus, anyone who has uh, kind of hitched their wagon to his is thinking, we're next. They're going to come looking for us. They're going to try to stamp this whole thing out. We're next. We're in trouble. We don't know what to do. We would ask him, but he's not here. (laughs) What do we do? And so they're afraid. Makes sense. I don't know if you can put yourself in their position, but for me, if I think about putting myself in their position, it totally makes sense that if if the Jewish leaders have just killed Jesus when he did nothing wrong, and I'm associated with him, I got to think I'm next. And so we get together with the other disciples and we lock the doors because we're afraid and we start trying to make a plan. What do we do from here? Where do we go from here? What does this even look like now? Everything that we thought was going to be the case, I guess, isn't. So now what? And so we see the disciples marked by fear. And then it says that Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After this, he showed them, he showed them his hands and sighed. Let's just notice for a second that it doesn't say Jesus knocked on the door and they go over and unlock it and let him in. And they're like, oh, hey, it's you. The door's still locked. They have closed up this place as tight as possible so no one can get in. No one will know they're there. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus. Well, how's that work? 
I don't know. I don't know how that works. This is not the only time he does this, though. He never does this before his resurrection, but after his resurrection, this is one of the things he does. He shows up in the midst of, uh, in the midst of a room when the door is locked. We'll see this again, I think, next week. But there he is. And you think, well, maybe there's some other explanation. And people have tried going down that road. It always leads to dead ends. Jesus greets them, though. He says things to him. He shows them things. He says, peace be with you. Why would he say that? You think maybe it's what they need to hear right then? Probably so. On the other hand, that was also just a common greeting. And so uh, when he says, peace be with you, it's entirely possible they missed it and just heard it as, hey, guys, how's it going? And then it says he showed them his hands and his side. Why did he show them his hands and his side? And there are a couple reasons. One, this is identifying. That we're not just confusing this person who's just appeared in front of us with Jesus. He's saying, no, it's, it's me. Take a look right here. My hands, take a look at my side, where the nails went in, where the spear went in. And I think it's also a second reason that is very important. It's not just identifying that this is Jesus who hung on the cross. I think it's important that as the resurrected Jesus, he still bears these wounds. It's not as though everything has uh, changed to the point that now he has this perfect body that no longer has scars or the evidence of what the cross did to him. Why? Why not when he's raised from the dead? Does that not all just go away? And now he has perfectly smooth skin everywhere with no evidence of scarring, with no evidence of the trauma that he's experienced. And I think part of the reason that we think about it in those terms is that we are in such a, an image-based uh, society where we have everything airbrushed to what we think is perfection. And all the blemishes have to be smoothed away so that somehow we can pretend they're not there. but God makes us as people who scar. And I think maybe there's a reason for that. And I say that partly because Jesus retains his scars even after he's raised from the dead. And I think what we do is we tend to look at scars and we look at uh, you know, various blemishes and we say, oh, this is a sign of imperfection. And if this would just go away, then maybe then I could be perfect. But Jesus is perfect with scars. I want us to think about that. <laughs> that in the kingdom of heaven, apparently, these signs of the cross, that as Jesus still bears these marks of the cross, 
That's not a sign of imperfection. That is a sign of perfection. That is a sign of his victory. These wounds are his trophies. His medals that he wears. The victor's crown. It shows that he is the one who did win the victory as he died on the cross. And so we see him uh, through all eternity still bearing these scars. Another part of there's a um, poem I want to read you, just the last stanza. The poem uh, by a guy named Edward uh, Shalito called Jesus of the Scars. The last stanza says, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only, God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. We have a very different view of uh, power and strength than the kingdom way. Jesus bears scars, partly because uh, of this difference in, um, in perspective, but also because his way is the way of the cross. His way is entering into our pain and then not just defeating it, but defeating it by going through it. So we see the disciples marked by fear. We see Jesus marked by the cross. How does that then change the disciples? End of verse 20. The disciples were overjoyed <laughs> when they saw the Lord. In that short section, when Jesus comes, stands among them, says, Peace be with you, and shows them his hands and his side, they go from people who are terrified to people who are overjoyed. Think about that. You ever get afraid? You ever get afraid when you think about possibilities of the future? Do you ever get afraid when people, whether on TV, radio, internet, your phone, whatever, start painting scenarios of what the future might look like in this country or in your own world? Can you imagine what it would look like for that fear to melt away into joy because of Jesus? Think about this. They go from being marked by fear, with good reason, to being overjoyed for good reason. (laughs) But he's not done. Verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He says, Peace be with you again. Why do you have to say it twice? I suspect it's like if somebody says, Hey, how you doing? And you say, Oh, good, how are you? And they say, Hi, how are you doing? You're like, oh, you don't mean like as a greeting, you actually want to know. And so Jesus says, peace be with you. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, peace be with you too. And he's like, no, 
peace be with you. Oh. Oh, you mean it. (laughs) Of course. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. This whole section has to do with this uh, breathing on them. Breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Can you think of any other time where anyone breathes on someone? In the Bible, I mean. Not today. We shouldn't be doing that today. Just want to make sure we get that in there. This goes all the way back to Genesis 2. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We see the same kind of thing of what we just read in Ezekiel. Prophesied, a breath would come into the... We see the same thing in Acts 2 that we just read at Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit and this sound of a mighty wind that accompanies it. This is this symbol and the sign of the breath of life. And just as uh, we see Adam not alive before this and alive after that, just as we see the dry bones that Ezekiel's prophesying, not alive before that, but alive after that, in the same way, this is what... um, that's so what Paul talks about in Ephesians. Saying, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Then he goes on and he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. This is the sign. Jesus breathes on them of a new life that they will experience, of a new power in their life, but a new direction of life, a new way of life that is not like the ways of this world. In fact, uh, if you look at Galatians 5, the contrast could not be more different between what Paul describes as the act of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. This is Galatians 5, where it says, uh, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And let me tell you what he describes. This is the way of this world. These will sound very familiar in the things that you see all around us all the time. In fact, not only the things that you see, but the things that you see and that are promoted as just fine. And there's not a problem with this. This is, this is the way this world works, and you should just get on board with it. This is what he's going to describe here as the act of the flesh. This is just the way the world goes. And he says it's sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, 
envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. (laughs) You can go on. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? These are not only the things that people do, these are the things that people encourage others to be a part of. Paul continues and says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is something completely different. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's pretty different, isn't it? It's very different. But this is the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says, I want you to be marked not by the ways of the world, but by the ways of the Spirit. It is the way of the cross. Um, But it's also the way of joy and of love, etc., I want us to think about, especially uh, right now, we are in a a political season that is asking a lot of us, asking us to behave in certain ways, asking us to think about people in certain ways, whether they are political figures or our neighbors, we're being asked to make some decisions right now in who we're going to be. And I will tell you, there's a way to go through this as the rest of the world, and there's a way to go through this as someone who is uh, living in step with the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. To engage in politics but not participate in factions and dissension and hatred and anger and fits of rage. There's a way to participate in politics with forbearance and peace and kindness and goodness. And I'm guessing that most of the places that we get our news aren't encouraging those ways of entering into politics, are they? What do they encourage? They encourage the way of the world. Why? Because it's the way of the world. (laughs) But as Christians, I hope we know there is a better way than the way of the world. I hope that we truly believe that there is a better way and that we actually can participate in this better way. And it's, I've got to make clear, it's not by trying harder. Well, I'll just be, I'll just be more loving. Great, go for that. But don't depend on that. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of your own effort. 
So the effort that we have is just stay connected. This is the whole Jesus saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. So what do we do? What is our part? Stay close to Jesus. If you are hearing more from the ways of the world than you're hearing from the ways of Jesus, that's where we need to make a change. So that when we're hearing from the ways of the world, we can accurately evaluate that. We can actually see where uh, what is being asked of us doesn't line up with the way of the Spirit. But if we're getting most of our stuff from the ways of the world, you try all you want to fight it. You don't even know what you're fighting. We need to be people who are marked by the Holy Spirit. This is what will turn our fear as we look at the future into peace and into joy. That is fruit of the Spirit. It's walking step by step with Jesus through all of this. It's refusing to hate the people others want us to hate. It's remembering that our battle is not against flesh and blood. That people are not our enemies. There is an enemy who needs to be uh, fought and dealt with. And the good news is, Jesus has already won that war. One other thing we note about the Holy Spirit, and this goes all the way back to um, when Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. You remember what happens there? As Mary comes and she's pregnant with Jesus. John the Baptist is full of the Holy Spirit even while he's in the womb. And what is it that he does when Mary shows up? He leaps in her, in her womb and is from the womb pointing people to Jesus. This is what happens when people are full of the Holy Spirit. And you can go ahead and read through the whole rest of the New Testament and notice that when people... Uh, when people are walking in step with the Spirit, when people are filled with the Spirit, that's what comes naturally, is pointing people to Jesus, helping people to get to know him, helping people to follow him closer. That is the message. Because it is what is true, and it is good news. Um, this last line says... Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Um, we don't have time to go through how everybody takes this. this. You can take this a million different ways. I just want to offer one up for your consideration. Um, if you disagree about this one, I'm fine with that. That <laughs> um, being this, that the message of Jesus is about forgiveness of sins. This is what we have received, and so this is what we are to freely give. And that uh, if we see someone and we don't share the good news of Jesus, we are withholding from them that grace and forgiveness that could be theirs. But if we do share it, that then they do have the opportunity to receive that forgiveness. I want us to think about the people in our lives who shared this with us and you can wonder what would have happened if they hadn't.
where would I be if they hadn't? Don't think on that too long. It's troubling. But instead, rejoice that they did. And then be that for someone else. Let them know the good news and the forgiveness that is theirs in Jesus. This is part of what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. This is part of what it is that we were created to do and to be. Um, Keeping in mind, of course, Jesus is still marked by the cross. We will be too. There is a peace and there is a joy, but it is the way of the cross. So it will be hard. But it is right. It is good. It is uh, the way of the Spirit. It is the way of Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.